Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 109, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader, featuring Herminia Ibarra. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. It's sort of a chicken or the egg question. To take your next step toward great leadership, Do you start with introspection and learning to think like a leader? Or do you throw yourself into positions where you're forced to learn by doing? Most leadership books and courses give you one answer, but a contrarian and counterintuitive new book by one of the world's top business experts says they're wrong. Herminia Ibarra was Harvard professor for 13 years, and she's currently professor at INSEAD Business School outside of Paris. Thinkers 50 placed her among the 10 most influential business gurus in the world. She joins us to discuss her newest book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. Herminia, welcome to Engaging Leader. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Happy to be here. Does making the leap to bigger leadership start inside or outside us? That's the question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I think the curiosity about it and, and perhaps desire uh, might start as a combination inside and out. Often kind of what piques your interest and what motivates you is having had certain experiences, having seen other people do it, um, perhaps getting a little bored uh, with your job and wanting a bigger challenge. So, you know, it's really a combination of both. Um, and in inside, actually, people often have uh, some degree of ambivalence. They want it, but at the same time, they don't, they're not sure they're going to love it. They're going to be good at it. It's going to be worth it. Um, so, I, you know, I think the motivations are a combination. Um, but what really starts outside is figuring out how to do it and figuring out which way to go. And that's where my arguments are a little different from a lot of other people's, which really stress looking inward and f- understanding yourself and knowing yourself and, and, and extracting from introspection um, a perspective on how to do it. And, and my sense is that it, when you're looking at moving into a role, it's really different from anything you've done before. That's just impossible because you have no internal base. What you need to do is um, generate some new experience, generate some external perspective and follow that. Most leadership books and courses seem to start you with um, assessing yourself and discovering your strengths and determining your purpose and what do you want to do, all these sort of introspective activities. Um, Is that helpful or is that a little bit dangerous? It depends on where you are. (laughs) There are situations when that's really quite helpful. But as, as, as I just mentioned, when you're moving into a role that's completely different, you have no experience that can prepare you for it. And oftentimes what happens is introspecting only gets you focused on uh, what you've done in the past, what you've been good at, what you have liked, as if that wasn't going to change and evolve. Honestly, if that doesn't change and evolve, you will be bored for the rest of your life. <laughs> but, you know, it's a pendulum. It used to be that most leadership books talked about analyzing the situation first and what was required by it so that you could adapt to it. And so, you know, the pendulum swung to introspection and now it's swinging back. I'm hoping to push it back a little bit in the direction of, you know, don't just navel gaze. Um, it, there's a world out there that you need to become familiar with. 
So it's not really an either-or proposition that with introspection on the one side and experimentation or action on the other side. It's, uh, you're going to maybe do, do a little bit of both? But the, the appropriate sequence depends on what you're trying to do. And uh. what I'm trying to suggest is that when you're moving into uh, a bigger leadership role, when you're moving into something that's unfamiliar, you're better off experimenting first, trying out some new things, generating some new experiences, connecting to some new and different people, working on some different things. And then you can reflect on it. But otherwise, you're just reflecting on the past. And what you're trying to do is move into the future. So when you are in those new, uh, experimenting in those new areas, do you essentially have to fake it until you make it? Is that sort of what you're recommending? You know, that's a phrase that, um, it's, it's kind of a pejorative phrase, and it doesn't put the process in its best light. I don't think it's about faking it until you make it. I think it is experimenting with things that are really unfamiliar, experimenting with some things that might be the last thing that you would do naturally, the last thing that would occur to you, but you've seen other people do it successfully. And since what you're doing is not per- it's not working, you say to yourself, why not? So it's you could call it fake it till you learn it, but it's not really about faking it. It's about experimenting. It's about trying it tentatively, not being committed to being that person, until you've had a chance to try it on for size. And your advice for stepping up to great leadership, and uh, you recommend focusing on three areas in terms of where you're going to do these experiments. Can you tell us about the the first area? Yeah, the first is is the most basic and the most obvious, um, which is your job. Um, if you want to step up to leadership, you have to redefine your job because chances are the way you are going about your job right now is on the basis of one, what you've been good at and rewarded for in the past. And so you're not exercising new muscles. And two, you're oftentimes in our jobs, you know, most of us get thrown so much stuff at, um, you're executing on what other people are asking you to do. You're kind of delivering implementing stuff, you know, just getting stuff down, done without a chance to reflect, are we doing the right things strategically? Where should we be going? Where are the opportunities? Where are the dangers lurking? And what does that mean for our business? And also for my agenda in terms of what I'd like to accomplish. And so, so the place to start, and, and I think this is a much more productive place to start than introspecting about yourself is to think, what's my job today? Where can I expand it? so that I can develop some new capacities and where can I expand it so that I can make a more strategic contribution to the organization. Yeah, you talk a lot about how managers and leaders are tend to be stuck in their day-to-day work because most of us who are leaders, you're both leading people, but you also have tasks that you need to get done. Yep. Um, and and you encourage people to sort of restructure their work to, to make more time for what what's you'd call true leadership work. Um, how, how can people do that? Well, there's a few different ways of doing it. Um, and unfortunately, often begins by adding rather than subtracting <laughs> to your job. But, you know, the, the first thing is actually coming to understand that you're doing the wrong job. And most people don't get that uh, because they don't have what I call outsight 
as opposed to insight, which is external perspective. And so a really good place to start is to just um, sign up for a project outside your area or a task force or start networking with some people outside of what you do. And that really will give you a very different view on what you're doing and your unit and your team and how it can contribute because all of a sudden um, you get more of the big picture perspective. So that, that's, a, that's a really good place to start. And they also provide a context in which to, you know, try some new behaviors, try some new styles, because it's not the, the group with which you spend most of your time on a day-to-day. And then usually what happens is as you start to kind of see how the dots connect and as you start to see more about the trends outside, because maybe you've gotten involved with an external group or a professional association or what have you, that starts to motivate you to do what's a little bit harder, which is to start delegating some of what you used to do to other people. Or if you're an individual contributor, to start saying no (laughs) to some of the things and be a little bit more choosy and prioritize more, because now all of a sudden you have some other more interesting things that you want to do and you're convinced that they can really make important contributions. So redefine the scope of your job, make some time for more strategic work, and then find some opportunities to work outside your function or your normal department, maybe even outside of your entire organization if you're in a high-level leadership role. Absolutely. And then you're going to have to be able to offload some of what you used to do unless you just want to work around the clock. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's the, the second area where folks can get started? The second one's really related. It has to do about expanding your network and and, and networking much more across boundaries in your organization and more outside. And and this is because anything you want to do that's innovative requires external perspective, requires ideas from different areas, requires talking to people who are not always talking to the same bunch. It requires bouncing ideas with people outside the usual suspects. And so the great thing about tweaking your job and expanding it and getting involved in some projects is that automatically it gets you in contact with new and different people who will give you perspective. This is actually not a hard thing to do, but people um, don't get around to it because they're busy and because they don't know how to make it part of their daily or their weekly routine. But it's, it's, it's quite easy and it pays off very immediately. One of the things that you stress in this part of your book is actually making sure that you're diversifying your network, that a lot of people think, oh, I need to get outside. And so they go have lunch with the same crowd that they have been with, or they go network with the the same crowd. Why Why are you emphasizing diversification so strongly? Well, because if you are always talking to people like you, they tend to think like you. And, and, and so you have the same ideas, you talk to the same people, you feel the same way about similar things, you get no new information. Um, you can't be useful to them because they, they all know each other anyhow, so they don't need you for anything. <laughs> and that's how you get groupthink. So um, you basically need diversity of relationships to have any kind of perspective without even starting to talk about influence because you can't have any influence if you're only connected to people like you. So it's for ideas, for innovation, for influence, for getting buy-in. Um, and also for you to be able to give back to your network because, right, it's reciprocal. It's not just what you get out of it. In order for you to be well-placed to give something back, you have to have something to give back from. (laughs) So it's basically your network that allows you to introduce people, to make referrals, to be helpful, to give input, and so you have to nurture that as well. 
So do you have a tip for how someone can get started if this this is a maybe an uncomfortable step for them? Yeah. You know, I, I, I have a, a set of threes, you know, find three people in your company that are not your group that you've crossed already, but you know, you've met them not well, ask them to lunch or coffee, find three people that you don't work with who are outside your company, either you went to school together, they used to be at your company and they left, you've lost track of them, but you had something in common, call them up, you know, track them down, have lunch join a professional association or an industry group or, you know, get more active on LinkedIn or do, you know, do one external group thing. Um, and that once you get involved in that, that actually reaps rewards immediately. So it's actually quite simple to get started. The hard thing is getting started. It's quite simple once you get started, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about redefining the scope of your job. We've talked about diversifying your network. What's the third area? So the third one, I call it be more playful with yourself. And, and this is the idea that, um, you know, nobody pigeonholes us better than ourselves, you know, past a certain age and often quite early on, we say, oh, okay, I'm this kind of person. I'm hands on. I'm introverted. I'm not good with people. Um, I don't like public speaking. And, and we kind of internalize that as something about who we are without realizing that those are things that are can be quite malleable and change with experience. And so part of what's scary as we're making these transitions is you look around you and you see maybe people who do it really well, but you think you're so different from them. That can't possibly be you. Or you see people who, in fact, you don't respect very well and you think they're being very political or maneuvering or, you know, you think, gosh, I'm going to turn into one of those bureaucratic managers I always hated working for. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, these changes are always daunting because we fear what they're going to do to us into our identity, to our sense of self. And, and, and so what I tend to say to people is just be a little bit more playful about it. You're not going to change overnight anyhow. You know, try doing some things that don't come naturally. Observe other people, ones that are, who are different from you. Borrow some things from them. Try them out. Maybe try them out in relatively safer context and see how you feel about it. You will evolve and you will change. And, you know, just anybody make the exercise. Look five years back how you were five years ago. There was things that you would have never dreamt possible then, but you're doing it today. And it's the same looking forward. So basically expanding your sense of identity. How do you do that without feeling like a fake, though? So a lot of people do, and that's that's what breaks them. Um, that's what puts on the brakes. There, I think you have to start with what does authenticity mean and what does being a fake mean? Authenticity doesn't mean that you have to be as you always have been. Authenticity means that you are true to some core values that you have. They're usually quite abstract, and they don't have anything to do with um, – how you might um, shape and bend and adapt your style to be more effective in different situations. I'll give you a classic example. For a lot of people, when they move into a situation where they have to be really selling their ideas, persuading, promoting, as opposed to simply having a good idea intrinsically, analytically, quantitatively, whatever, technologically, they feel like a fake because it's it's all contrary to their values. It should be all about the stuff, the substance, not the form. Well, the fact is that not everybody is going to have the same values as you. Not everybody is going to be able to appreciate your great idea off the bat, and it doesn't have the same implications or stakes for others. And so that's part of what you need to do if you need to lead. When you start doing it, you feel like a fake. You feel like, gosh, I'm doing this 
sleazy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But as you develop a way of doing it that is more in keeping with who you are, as you get to know other people who you respect, who do it and do it well and do it ethically, you come to have a very different feeling about it. But without having tried it and without having to appropriate it for yourself, you're never going to change your own mind. A few years ago, a book came out uh, called Strengths-Based Leadership by Tom Rath and the folks at Gallup. And they cautioned leaders about reading or learning about some uh, what some other leader did or some leadership approach and then bringing that back to their team and saying, hey, we're going to do this now with this way. And they encouraged instead that you figure out your strengths and, and, and what works well for you. And so this danger of almost like being the program of the day, how do you avoid that risk when you are being playful and experimenting with uh, these unfamiliar and, and new ways of your, uh, in, in terms of your identity? Yeah, there's two different things there, and they're related. One is um, adopting a program or a practice that another group has put in place. Um, and another, is, that's one thing. And another is adopting a style or a tactic that another person has to yourself, to your own style. They're not, they're not quite exactly the same. In both cases, though, what is true is you can't just cut and paste. You always have to adapt to yourself. But where do you start? You know, this is we get back to the introspective. But you can introspect away. You might reinvent the wheel. You might never find the solution. All of us, whether we admit it or not, we learn by watching other people. That's how kids learn. That's how we learn anything new and relatively tacit. What you can't do is just be like Zelig, become another person's personality, or just cut and paste another leadership group's practices. You have to tailor it. You have to adapt it. Now, at first, you don't know how that's going to work. And sometimes we're a little bit clumsy. So we try to take it in wholesale as we saw it elsewhere. And immediately when you try it on for size, you see it doesn't fit and it needs tailoring, it needs modification, it needs adaptation. And you start the trial and error process, but you've started and you're getting data and you're iterating and it's not a one shot. That is so much more efficient then try to introspect it on your own. You mentioned authenticity a little bit earlier. And uh, I think a lot of leaders, they've been hearing, hey, in the 21st century, you need to be authentic. And uh, what does that mean? And uh, it's interesting in your book, you talk about how this experimenting and expanding your sense of identity actually helps you um, come across as authentic. It helps you have a greater sense of who you really are. It helps you become authentic because being authentic is an evolving process nobody ever said authenticity is set in stone your authentic you today is not the authentic you you'll be 10 years from now and it's not the authentic you you were 10 years ago it's it's a process of evolution you know a lot of people say they're trying to be authentic and in fact what they're doing is being rigid and it's an excuse for not questioning and not evolving and not changing i have no question about authenticity. It's a fantastic thing, but sometimes it's an evolution towards something. It's not an intrinsic state. It's not an input. It's an outcome. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of someone who's a, an ex, a seasoned leader um, looking to ever develop into greater, even greater leadership. Uh, one 
advice that, that a lot of experts recommend is that a leader like that set aside a few hours each week for uninterrupted thinking so that they can have more and better strategic ideas. So this, again, this sort of introspection is the starting point. What would you recommend someone in, in that position doing instead? So again, it depends on what that person's been up to, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, this idea of thinking time is funny because, what, you're not thinking the rest of the time? <laughs> um, you know, if you look at research on creativity and on innovation, because ultimately that's what it's about. What we want that senior leader to do is to be able to have creative ideas, to be able to have innovative ideas, to be able to uh, think strategically about the future. And so what gets in the way of those things is being on the daily grind, kind of the same routine, you know, going from one thing to another without thinking, running from one meeting to the other, budgeting, planning, this speech, that's, you know, that, that will kill it, right? Now, what's the antidote? The antidote isn't necessarily thinking time. It may be for some people. It may be after a particularly busy period, say you've just come back from around the world trip to different offices or from a key conference, you want to have some time to process that. That's a great time to think. Why? Because you've just had new experiences. In other cases, what that leader might need is not thinking time, but getting out in the world time and going to visit a competitor or going to a conference that brings together other CEOs, but from different areas or going to a seminar or, you know what I mean? Those are things too that get you out of your habitual routine, that get you seeing new and different people. And then all of a sudden, dots connect that wouldn't connect. Those aha moments that happen when you're doing something different than your usual. But it doesn't always come sitting in an office thinking. Oftentimes, it's you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden, things click into place. You've talked about some of the aspects of true leadership work, the, the sort of the building bridges between your team and others outside of it and, and networking. Um, you've talked about innovation. Um, what about the idea of engaging people in change? What, how does this idea of acting um, first affect that area of, of engaging people in change? You mean getting them committed, getting them bought in, getting them excited about change? Right. Yeah, so in the book I talk, I have a little formula that I made up to talk to people about that when they're they're precisely in this kind of situation of needing to lead change uh, for others. And it is the idea plus the process plus you <laughs> equals success or effectiveness in leading change. So most of the time we just focus on the idea, like what is it that we want the change to be? What's the outcome? What do we want to do less or do more? And that's that's fine, but it, the idea isn't necessarily going to be as compelling to everybody. And what the process is really critical because what becomes compelling to us is what we've been involved in. So, so the process is more how do you engage people, how do you solicit input, allow them bits of the decision making, have conversations, you know, the how you who you involve, how many people you involved, the vehicles by which, that's really critical too. And then the, the third element is um, the part that I call you, and that is who you are, your identity, and what it is about you that makes people trust you or not, excites people or not, inspires people or not. And that re that involves 
um, the more personal component. You know, what is it about you that makes this change make sense? In what ways are you living it or have you lived it? And that, that's the part that we think about the least but often could be the most impactful. The book, again, is Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. Herminia, where can people find out more about you and, and also get their hands on the book? Okay, so two places. The best place to start is my website. It's uh, HerminiaIbarra.com. Maybe I should spell it out. Absolutely. <laughs> H-E-R-M, like in Mary, I, and like in Nancy, I-A, and then Ibarra altogether, I-B-A-R-R-A.com. So you've got all my articles and information about the book and everything else in there. And then the easiest place to go is Amazon. Act like a leader, think like a leader on Amazon. It's the fastest place to get it. Herminia Ibarra, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thanks, Jesse. Take care. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. You can follow Herminia on Twitter where she is at Herminia Ibarra. And we'll put links to that as well as to her website and to the book on Amazon on our show notes for this episode. You can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 109, as in episode 109. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section, or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engagingleader, or on Twitter where I am, at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about. 